So today's passage is, we're continuing with our series in Colossians, chapter 3 this week. Um, But I want to start off by just sharing about a childhood experience I had. So if you look at me, I'm a bigger guy, right? I would say I'm on the bigger end of the scale, literally. And, you know, I've always been that, ever since I was young. I used to be always one of the tallest kids in class. And then I stopped being the tallest kid in class and just started being the widest kid, like the thickest kid in class, or just in general these days. Um, But what I meant, uh, but what that meant was, there was one thing I always didn't like. I hated. I was scared of growing up. Trust falls. Have you ever done trust fall? So like you, it's like a group activity. It's a bonding activity where you, one person falls back and everyone else catches them. It's like, do you trust us? No. <laughs> Actually, I also hated changing clothes in front of other people <laughs> at, at school uh, because of my, <laughs> uh, my, size, but but one thing I really hated was trust falls. Another thing I really hated was uh, the seesaw. You know, the seesaw, right? Because, you know, what would inevitably happen is, like, we're seesawing, like, I'd be with my sister or someone, we'll be seesawing, and then the other person, when, it, when, they're, when, they're, when I'm up here and they're down, they just, like, jump off. And then I go, bang! And I, and I kind of look like, like this picture. We have a diagram here to illustrate. Is it there? There we go. So that is I. <laughs> and that is the other person. So when you look at a seesaw, You might think that the point of the seesaw is to be balanced, like a scale. Like you kind of think the correct position is to be like balanced. But it's actually not meant to be balanced. Have you ever seen a seesaw balanced? It always ends up like this or like that. And when you use it, it's meant to go up and down. And you know, last week... Uh, we talked about uh, in the Colossian church how they were teaching the Colossian church about this legalistic, this like uh, mixed kind of Christianity, a Christianity that was not pure but based on works. And what uh, Pastor Tim Keller from America he calls it legalism, right? Religion based like Christianity. You know, Christianity that focuses on like truth. This is the way Christianity must be. He calls it one of the two enemies of the gospel. And then he says, on the other hand, is something called irreligion or liberalism, which is focusing on grace. God loves us. God forgives us. So we don't have to keep any rules. We don't have to try to be pure or spiritual I have God's love, and I just do what I want. 
It's okay. So kind of like a seesaw, we have these two ends of a lot of Christian faith. So people can be on this end where they're very strict. You must pray every day. You must do this. You must do this. Or sometimes we see a lot more people in the modern times be a lot more on this end. Liberalism. Uh, Irreligion. No religion. My relationship with God is just me and God and it's not affected by what I do, what rules I keep. Like, I'm free. Right? So, it's kind of like a seesaw. And so, what do you think is the solution? What is the right type of faith? So again, looking like a seesaw, you kind of assume, well, this is bad, too much of this is bad, and then too much of this is bad. So we have to balance it, right? 50-50. I can't be too strict, but then I can't be too loose. I just have to find the, the balance point. So let's think about this. Uh, think about a time when you've ever been treated unfairly. Or maybe your parent or teacher or someone put very strict rules upon you. How did you feel? How did you respond? I think we kind of choose two options. One is to just submit follow along, and sometimes we're really good at it, right? So we're really good at being a good son or daughter, and we actually excel, we thrive. I think that's kind of like on this side, the legalism. We're good at following rules. We we like it. But then sometimes the way we respond is just rebellion. Or we either fail and then rebel, Right, you want like you you want me to do this and that like no way, and you just go far to the, towards the other end. So an example I'm thinking is like growing up, my my mom would try to control the things I ate. So what happens when you move out? You just like you eat whatever you want, right? So once yeah, once you're free of the, those rules, the restrictions, you go to this way. I just do what I want. And you stuff your face. It's like overreaction. It's kind of like a seesaw from here, but then instead of being in the middle, you overreact and go to the other end. Right? Rebellion. Irreligion. So I think actually that's what we saw happening in the Colossian church. So let's look at chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. So the end of last week's passage, uh, and we'll use that to in, go uh, transition into our passage for today. Can we read it all together? Uh, chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. Okay, so if you're ready, let's read it together. One, two, three. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. 
These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So this legalistic kind of faith being taught to the Colossians, this you know, spiritual elitism, meditating to angels, like fasting, not drinking alcohol, uh, these strict religious regulations. Paul says, while they sound good, they have an appearance of wisdom. They actually led first to, so what we talked about last week, arrogance and pride, and a faith that was being detached from Jesus, from the head. The body, he talks about in verse 19, the body was being detached from the head. They forgot what the point of, the point of their faith was. And then today, the, uh, the second thing that it resulted in was actually the indulgence of the flesh. Uh, he says, these things actually do not help at all stop indulging the flesh. What is that? If we look at our passage from today, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 5, he talks about sexual sin, indulgence of the flesh, uh, physical pleasure, sexual sin. That's one thing that happened in the church of Colossae as a overreaction, a response to the strict rules that were being required of Christians there. So that's what, he was, that's what he's saying. So last week I talked more about um, spiritual pride, and arrogance, and uh, basing my value on achievement and success. And what I was saying is that, in the end, at the base, at the root of all legalism, is actually a belief that I'm not worthy of love by myself, for who I am. I'm not significant I am not accepted for who I am, but I must earn it from God and from other people. You know, something you can Google is the six human needs, and it's kind of a commonly accepted psychology that for humans, we humans, we have six fundamental needs in order to feel fulfilled, in order to feel secure in our place in the world. Uh, they are certainty or safety, significance, uh, love or connection, um, and then there's there's three others. But these three, safety, significance, and love or acceptance, they're three of four essential ones, and then two are kind of secondary. And so we need to understand that in order to be really free from legalism, this side, it's not actually about just going to the opposite, having less rules. But we have to actually address what the real issue is, the heart issue, which is that I'm trying to find significance. I'm trying to find love. I'm trying to find self-worth, security through my actions, through my performance, not in God's love for me, not in God. 
Because if you don't deal with this heart issue, a lot of the times what happens? You just seesaw to the other extreme. It ends up often in walking away from God, away from any sort of religion and relationship with God. And that life is just as empty. He, uh, Paul talks in verse 5 or verse 6. He says, That life, you actually face the wrath of God. Okay, so let's look at our passage for today. Let's start with verses 5 to 7. So can we read verse 5 and 7 together? 5 to 7 together? Okay, so 1, 2, 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. So who is Paul talking to here? Is he talking to the you know, elders, the holy spiritual people in the church? The ones who are doing well? No, he's talking to the people who are committing all these sexual sins. I think it's, he's talking to the people who either when they heard about these things, they just rebelled. It's like, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to live my life how I want to. Or maybe they tried, but they failed. I can't, I just can't do it. It's, It's too hard. I can't go to dawn, like Tebyakido, dawn prayer every day. Like I can't do these things. And so what happens? You go to this side because you feel unworthy. I can't do it. I'm not as good as these people. And that leads you to this side of just sin, of irreligion, no religion. So what we see is What Paul says is actually the correct response is to say, in Christ we are free from these religions, these human religions, but it's not the same thing as saying we have just a license to sin, that there are no uh, like principles and laws and commands that we need to follow. Because right? often that's what you kind of instinctively think. If we're being too legalistic, if we're following these rules too much, let's just follow less rules and make it not as rule-based. But often that leads to just, over time, going over to this side, where you just have no rules whatsoever. And that's not right. Paul says, actually, no, these things are wrong. Sexual immorality is wrong. There are things that are wrong that you cannot do. You know, how can you say that if you have been raised with Christ, if you are a Christian, that the life that you're living is no different to what it was before Jesus? How can this life where you're doing the same bad things as before, how can that be a life where you've been raised again with Christ? It doesn't make sense. It's not the right response. You know, you've just you just say that I'm Christian, but actually 
the substance is no different to a life without Christ. Right? If your response to all these rules is no rules. Right? Does that make sense? Right. You know, he says, this is just as bad, right? saying that you love Jesus, but not following his commands is just as bad because... At the root of it is what? Uh, at the end of verse 5, he says it's actually idolatry. So what is idolatry? It's worshipping something or someone other than God. You know, what sexual immorality says, you know, using physical pleasure to fulfill your needs for love, and acceptance and significance to to rely on these physical the indulgence of the flesh instead of god it's saying that you trust not only you trust the world but you actually look into the mirror and you see yourself as someone who doesn't have god's love like i need to fill that hole somehow with these things. So God says, God says, I love you. But you look in the mirror and you say, no, no, God doesn't love me. I feel empty. I don't have love. So you're not accepting God's truth. You're actually accepting your own truth. You have replaced your truth instead of God's truth. And I think that's why it's idolatry why sexual immorality is idolatry is because you are making the focus about you, what you think, what you feel, your needs, and not about God. So actually, uh, this legalism, this religious spirit, and liberalism, uh, irreligious, like no rules, no commands of Christ. They're not actually opposites, but they're actually the same thing connected by one thing, idolatry, the focus of me, not God. Right? Because here it's all about satisfying myself, doing what I want. And on this side, it's about I'm not loved, so I have to earn my love. Because I don't believe that God loves me unconditionally, regardless of what I do. These are actually two sides of the same coin. They're not things that you can just balance 50-50 and then have a good Christian life. You're still committing the same sin of idolatry, regardless. Sorry, I'm just, we'll just keep going. Hopefully, you know, it makes it becomes more clear. Uh, it's a little bit theoretical complex right now. So what does that mean? What does that mean? I think this is a good way to think about it. So I want everyone to picture yourself as a little child, maybe like Chloe. Picture yourself at the playground. All right, you're on the seesaw. What the gospel is saying is that 
It's not that we have to spend our lives trying to make that seesaw balance somehow. Trying to not be too rule-based, but also trying not to be too free and sin. Like, that's a very tiring thing to think about. If we have to spend the rest of our life trying to make this balance, this perfect balance. What the gospel is actually saying, the beauty of the gospel, is that Jesus has come into the playground, and that when he died for us, when Jesus died for us, what he did was actually, he actually knelt down, he picked us up off the seesaw, and he put us on his back. And he said, you don't need to try to make this seesaw balance for the rest of your life. I'm going to carry you. All you have to do is just cling to me, hold on to me, and we'll go. We'll walk this life together. And you'll become more and more like me the more and more you cling on to me. It's actually from the seesaw where the center of the seesaw was about me. Right? It's not about staying on that seesaw and just trying to make it balance because it's still about me. But when we become Christian, when we die with Christ and are raised again, he's actually taken us away from the seesaw. The seesaw is no longer part of us, no longer what we're trying to do. The focus is not about me, but it's about God. It's about Jesus, the one who has saved us. So what the gospel is saying is that I don't have to prove anything to anyone in order to say that I am significant, I am loved, I am safe, I am free, because I'm with Jesus, I'm holding on to Jesus. In verse 3, chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, I kind of see that as like, we're hidden inside God's embrace. Right? We are fully covered and loved by Him. You know, whether it's church, whether it's your job, whether it's, you know, marriage, family, these kind of things. You don't have to prove something through that. God has a calling for you to be a blessing through that. But if that doesn't work out, if things don't go well, it doesn't mean you're less of a person. It doesn't mean that, you know, Tehan is less than me if he doesn't become a pastor or if he, if he doesn't get married and I'm married. It doesn't mean that I'm better than Tehan. The things in our lives are not what we use to measure ourselves because we have God's love for us. That tells us everything we need and once we have that security, that safety, that significance in God's love, then we're free to do these things without any fear, without any stress or anxiety. Like whether it goes well or not, like that's up to God. But we just try to follow Jesus in everything we do. Your business, your career, you know, dating, all these things. When you truly understand God's love for you, then fear, fear of failure, fear of things not working out, 
that actually disappears. Right. So, in verse 1, it, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Uh, a Christian debater called Ravi Zacharias, he says that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. We're not here just to become more spiritually elite people. That's not the point of Jesus. But he came to raise dead people to new life, to make the dead alive. And so the first step, so I'm going to just give you a couple of points here. The first step in order to be able to see yourself the way God sees you, to see yourself as a new creation, to see yourself as no longer on that seesaw, but with Jesus, safety, like with safely and fully covered and loved, fully protected. The first step to that is to realize, to, to meditate on the Word, to understand your identity. Who am I? And that happens you know, through the renewal of our mind. It's a, it's a thing that has to happen in our in our thoughts, in our meditations. So let's skip to verse 9 and 10. So chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. In verse 9 and 10, Paul says, We have put off the old self, and verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So once we become Christians, the next stage of our journey is to become more like Christ, the image of our Creator. And that happens through the renewal of knowledge, the renewal of our minds. You know, that uh, reminds us of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And I think this is really hard. This is a really difficult thing to do. Because I think for me the hardest thing about Christian faith is not like coming to church, praying, all those kind of things. It's actually looking in the mirror and believing that God says, uh, believing that I am who God says I am. So in the Bible, it talks about how God says you are beautifully, fearfully, wonderfully created. Like You are exactly as I wanted to make you. You are fully loved. You are fully accepted. Like Nothing you can do can you know, separate me from your love. And honestly, when I look in the mirror, I find it hard to believe that. Because when I look in the mirror, I see you did this wrong. Or you didn't, you haven't been praying as much. These things are, you've done wrong. These people you hurt. I see all the things that I haven't done right. And I can't believe that. It's hard for me sometimes to believe that God see, like how God sees me. That He fully loves me and fully accepts me despite what I've done. I think that's really, that's one of the hardest parts. This renewal of our mind. 
What do you think when you look at yourself in the mirror? Do you really believe that you are fully loved and accepted by God because of Jesus? That you are like a little child holding on to Jesus' back and he's carrying you? Or do you see yourself as like on that seesaw, trying to make a balance, trying to do this by your own strength? It's only when we continue to meditate on that truth, speaking the truth into our own hearts, speaking the truth to one another, that's when we can have renewal in knowledge, renewal of our minds, when God's truth becomes our truth, when it's not about me, but it's about Him. That's the first thing. Renewal of our minds. That's the first step. And I think once you start to move into that new identity, then we can start to look at the rest of the passage. There's all these like humility, kindness, patience, all these very holy things. It's very hard to do. You can't do that without that first step. So let's look at verses uh, 12 and 13 right now to start off with. Can we read it together? Verses 12 and 13. One, two, three. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost must you also must forgive. So I want to focus on that middle part of verse 12. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What it's saying here is that we do not, we do not become God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, by doing these things. If you read the grammar carefully, it's not saying you become holy and beloved by being compassionate, kind, humble, etc., etc. What Paul is saying is, because you are this, because this is your identity, then this is what the people of God do. But I think it's very easy for us to flip it around the wrong way. How can I become more holy, more loved by God? I have to be a good person and do these things. But that's not what this passage is saying. That's not what Paul is saying here. Because if you think that opposite way, what you're doing is you're still on this seesaw. You're still on the seesaw. You're still trying to kind of be a good person and make life, make your relationship with God balance. But it doesn't work that way. Because it's a hard work and eventually you'll either be really good at it and then you become proud arrogant, like Paul says. And you start to forget that it's about Jesus. And it starts to become about me. And you can compare with others. You become bitter at others. Or, maybe you do this for a long time, and then everything falls apart. Or, you just get sick of it. Something happens and you know what, I'm sick of trying to 
be this good person. And what happens? You slide into this way. I'm not going to go to church anymore. I don't need I don't need church in order to have a relationship with God. It's just me and God. Forget people, forget other things. I just live my life and then, you know, God's there. He loves me. And you indulge in the flesh often leads to that. So if you understand this the wrong way, it shows that you're still on that seesaw. You haven't been freed from that seesaw, from this back and forth between the two enemies of the gospel, legalism and liberalism. No, you have to believe that first, when I look in the mirror, I see myself, yes, I am God's chosen one, holy and beloved. That is how he sees me, and that is my truth as well. And so I will do these things. This is who I am. This is what I was called to do. All right, finally, let's look at verse 16. Can we read it out together? One, two, three. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. No matter how much I give in ministry, no matter how hard I try as a Christian, in my personal walk with Jesus, if I don't allow the Word of God to continually renew my mind, to continually change the way I see myself and I see Him, to allow, like to, to be set free from this seesaw of idolatry, if I don't do that, then what's going to happen to me I'm going to either end up proud, arrogant, bitter, or maybe broken, disappointed, disillusioned, turning away from God. And I think that's the same for all of us in some way or another. It might not be like me, because I'm doing ministry inside the church, but it may be because of what happens with your job or what happens with marriage or family or relationships. When that doesn't work out, it's not going to be pretty if you have built your relationship on God around that. And so how can we set ourselves free from that? How can we come away from that seesaw and hold on to Jesus, cling on to Jesus. Paul said, Paul he gives us three, three steps in verse 16. So step one, he says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. We have to immerse ourselves in the word of God. Nothing, nothing special, nothing revolutionary. You know, it's not just reading the Bible when you need help, but he's talking about a lifestyle, richness. It is a part of your everyday life 
the Word of God. You know, whether it's actually reading the Bible, or whether it's you know you just remember one verse, and when your day is tough, you just speak that verse over yourself, just remember what the Bible says, or whether it's catching up with a friend during the week for a coffee and talking about you know what God is speaking to you. You know we have CGs and and things like that. It has to be a rich, immersive dwelling, living with the Word of God. Okay, number two. The next thing he says is teaching and admonishing, admonishing one another in all wisdom. So we have to not just do this by ourselves, but we have to do this with each other. We have to speak the truth to one another. That's one of the reasons we have church, is that we're not just by ourselves where it's really hard. But we have other people who can speak truth into us. When I look in the mirror and I find it really hard to believe that God loves me, my friend, someone in my CG, my pastor can speak the truth. No, 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 don't believe that. God loves you for who you are. Nothing you can do can separate you from God's love. We need people to help keep speaking that truth, to keep renewing our mind especially when everything else says the opposite. You know, work, media, everything says you have to be beautiful or you have to be smart or you have to be rich in order to be significant and acceptable. So, let's not just, when we meet up, let's not just small talk. Let's not just go through the motions. But let's take time to ask and listen how are you doing? What's going on in your life? And also, number two, share. So if someone asks you, just be, give them a chance. Not everyone's going to be a great listener, but give them a chance. And then also, after you've shared, care for them. Ask them, well, how are you doing? So it's not just a one-way thing. Let's be willing to share and ask one another and speak the truth to one another. So listen, but also try to think, what does the Bible say? How can I encourage my brother and sister? How can I speak truth into their hearts, especially when they're struggling? And last, last number three, Paul says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We have to listen to Hillsong all day long. <laughs> no. No. It's about giving thanks to God. That's something we've been talking about a lot this past month. Paul, he repeats it again and again. Just here and there, you just see little lines, little phrases. But give thanks to God. Whether it's through a song, through listening to music, through singing, through reading the Psalms, or whether it's in your prayers or thoughts, expressing our thanks is actually another key of renewing your mind. It reinforces your beliefs. It solidifies them. When you verbalize it, you express it by giving thanks to God. When you speak truth into someone else's life, it actually reinforces that truth in your own mind as well. And so, uh, these are three things uh, we can do. There's many others. Don't just... You know, stick to my, my list. But the key first step is 
Let's renew our minds. Let's be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And realize that we're not on this seesaw between legalism and liberalism. We're not stuck between these, this rock and a hard place. But we're actually hidden with Christ. Separate from that. We don't have to prove anything to anyone. Because God loves us. Everything we do comes from that place of safety and security. Certainty in His love. So let's finish by just um, just turn to the person next to you, make make like pairs, and just say, uh, "You you are fully loved by God." So one, the person on this side can say, "You are fully loved by God," and the other person can say, "I believe that." <laughs> no. No, just say, thank you. No. That's that's be weird, isn't it? Let's say, no, just say, I am fully loved by God, and so are you. And then the other person can say, thank you. <laughs> just, just, you, you know what I'm trying to say. You know what I'm trying to say. Okay, let, let's, let's do that, and then, I'll, and then I'll close in prayer. Okay, so let's uh, take 30 seconds to do that to one another. Speak truth to one another. I think there's some something some things uh, something we say is often is like I I receive that right so I accept that I am fully loved and accepted by God yeah so try saying that to yourself in the mirror I hate doing it I really hate doing it but actually I think counselors like psychologists say that it actually has an effect impact on how you see yourself. All right, I'll just close us in prayer and then we'll have announcements before we finish the service. Father, we just thank you, God, that Christ came and died for us and he lifted us away from this uh, seesaw of idolatry, being stuck in this system of trying to earn love, earn acceptance, earn our significance, God. And that we are with Christ, hidden inside his embrace, set free from the patterns of the world, the system of the world that says we're not good enough unless we can do something. And so, Father, I just pray that you would help us to continue to renew our minds, to dwell richly in your word, to speak truth to one another to correct one another when we're you know, straying away from your truth, God. And to always sing praises, to give thanks to you. Yeah, to reinforce that truth in our hearts, God. Yeah, and Father, as we do that, as we continue to walk out this identity, then we will see the fruit of, of your spirit start to 
um, grow in our lives. You know, those patience, kindness, humility, those things come from knowing who we are in you, God, and not the other way around. And so, Father, we just thank you, God, uh, just for your word that always speaks to us. And help us, help us to apply this and live this out in our daily lives. We just thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.